Hello, I'm Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 103, for the week of December 22nd, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmachholz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, December 22nd, the moon is 90% full in the morning sky, rising a couple hours after sunset. By next Tuesday, December 28th, the moon will be about 35% full. Now that's less than half full in the morning sky. A lot of dark sky opens up over the next week. The constellation Orion is rising in the east as the sky darkens each evening, followed by Gemini and Canis Major and the bright star Cirrus. The winter constellations are here, ready for another season of viewing. The planet Venus, which has been hanging out in our evening sky for the past six months, is quickly moving out of our evening sky and soon to enter our morning sky. It will undergo what is known as inferior conjunction, passing more or less between us and the sun, but missing the sun's disk as it will pass north of the sun on January 9th, just two weeks away. Between now and then, it will become more of a crescent until, until there's almost nothing left to see of it. With less surface reflecting light in our direction, it dims by about a half a magnitude over the next two weeks. And next is Saturn in our southwestern sky each evening. It will be observable for the next four weeks or so before it too enters the solar vicinity as seen from the Earth and it goes behind the sun. Then it will be about two months before we can easily see Saturn in the morning sky. Jupiter follows a month later. We have had these three bright and spectacular planets in our evening sky for the past few months. That will soon be coming to an end. But fear not. There is so much more to see in the sky this season. The James Webb Space Telescope, after many delays, is set to be launched on December 24th. For months, some astronomers have talked about having a launch party when it launches, but seeing it will be in the early morning hours in the Western Hemisphere, that's unlikely to happen. The James Webb Telescope is big and sophisticated, and unlike the Hubble Space Telescope that was placed in a low-Earth orbit, the James Webb Space Telescope, referred to as JWST, will be stationed about a million miles outside the Earth's orbit. If something goes wrong with it, there's, there's no way to get out to fix it. A few hours after launch, the JWST may be visible but faint, passing through Orion's belt. I've seen only one reference to that and have not been able to confirm it.
There is risk in everything involving space travel. The launch must be flawless. This is a concern for some. Then the space telescope must unpackage itself and undergo a few weeks of testing and calibration before it can begin collecting meaningful data. The telescope has a larger mirror than the Hubble and more sensitive cameras, more so in the infrared part of the spectrum. Hubble is still performing well, and we will continue using it until it fails. But the JWST has always been seen as being the successor to the Hubble. Comet Leonard is now in our evening southern sky and still moving towards its closest point to the sun on January 3rd. In the past week, it seems to have outburst once and perhaps twice, and for a while reached magnitude 2. Now that sounds bright, that's as bright as the North Star, but the comet is in twilight skies and low, close to the horizon. The southern hemisphere is getting its first view of the comet, and we're getting some thorough reports from southern amateur astronomers. Podcast 103, Map 3, has positions for Comet Leonard, but note that this map is oriented for the southern hemisphere observers. I will mention this again next week, but on New Year's Eve at midnight as the year changes, The brightest star in the nighttime sky, Cirrus, is due south. Those living at 16 degrees latitude south of the equator will find it overhead. And those south of 16 degrees south will find it high in their northern sky. Suffice to say, when you stick your head out the door at midnight, you'll see the bright star Cirrus unless it's cloudy. This happens every year. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, December 22nd through Tuesday, December 28th? It depends upon where you are located. This week we have six zones. All you need to know is your latitude. North of 63 degrees, you will not see it at all. And a large part of the equatorial region will not see the International Space Station this week. That is from 30 degrees north to 30 degrees south. Sure, the the International Space Station will be passing through the zone twice in its 90-minute orbit, but not during twilight when you can see it. It will be during daylight so they can see you, but you cannot see them. Now, what about between 30 and 63 degrees north? We have two zones. From 40 to 63 degrees north, you can see the ISS in your morning sky, sometimes twice per night. And from 30 to 40 degrees north, it will be in your morning sky for only the first part of the week. As we head south of the equator, from 30 to 35 degrees south, the ISS will be in your evening sky for the second part of the week. And... And south of that, south of 35 degrees south, it will be in your sky for the whole week. You have short nights this time of the year, and some nights you'll see it at about midnight, which is rare to see it at around midnight. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com 
enter your location and click on ISS. With the moon out of our evening sky, a, a few comets are now visible. They are plotted on this week's maps, Podcast 103, Maps 1 and 2. Comet Borley, 19P, is magnitude 9.5 in our evening southern sky. Only a few degrees away is Comet Diarray at magnitude 11. In Gemini, near Castor and Pollux, we find Comet 2019L3, Atlas, at magnitude 9.5. Comet Fay 4P, is 30 degrees south at magnitude 11.5. You'll need a medium-sized telescope to see that. And rising later between the constellations Cancer and Leo is Comet 67P at magnitude 9.0. It is rare to have so many comets in this fairly bright magnitude range, so get out and see them. For more detailed real-time positions and maps, go to heavens-above.com and click on Comets. I gave a talk last Sunday to the Amateur Observer Society of New York based on Long Island. It was done over the internet using WebEx, which is similar to Zoom, which many clubs use these days. My subject was visual comet hunting. I am grateful for the opportunity to talk about a subject I have studied now for nearly 50 years and of which I have been an active participant. Someone suggested that with many clubs still using Zoom, the speakers do not need to be transported to the meeting to give a talk and that I should be rather busy. Well, I'm not. <laughs> this is only the eighth lecture I've given this year, my 150th in nearly 50 years. Yes, yes, I keep track of the lectures I give. Now, this does not count my talks as part of my former classes at the junior college with the adult education class, nor at the Placer Nature Center. About 20% of these 150 talks have been about the Messe Marathon. Most of the rest of the talks were about comets. I once went four years without delivering a lecture, the years 2000 to 2004. This was still a busy time for me, raising a family and changing careers. I've also gone one and two years between delivering lectures. Clusters of talks were around comet events. Halley's Comet in 1985-86, Comet Austin in 1990, and Comet Hale-Bopp in 1996 and 1997. Amateur astronomers wanted to know more about comets, so they called Don. My 10th comet, 2004Q2, which reached un unaided eye visibility in late 2004, led to a flurry of talks, 26 talks in one year, all in person. Most of those were on the west coast of the United States. By the way, in local astronomy clubs where I visited in person, the number of attendees was always about 30. That's been consistent for decades. So what's up now? When an astronomy club speaker chairperson, 
And believe me, almost every club has someone assigned to find speakers. They do not immediately say, hey, let's ask Don to speak. Even when they think of inviting a comet hunter, I'm probably not the one who typically comes to mind. I understand and accept that. Plus, NASA now has ambassadors in their ambassador program, a long list of knowledgeable and enthusiastic persons who have been trained to talk on various subjects. They typically do a fine job. Plus, with the Zoom meetings, any university in the world now has astronomers who can be invited to talk about something astronomical. The astronomy clubs have great opportunities now to get some real experts in a variety of fields, and they are taking advantage of that. I don't begrudge the process nor the selections. I get it. I have been low profile for most of my comet hunting career. Self-promotion has never been my thing, but I'm available if anyone wants to listen. Many of you listen to me on my podcast each week, and believe me, I fully appreciate that. After a couple of my recent talks, I have been asked if I'll be writing an autobiography. Someday I hope to, not just for the present generation, but for those who follow. Some people, hundreds of years from now, might wonder what the last days of visual comet hunting was like, or want to know about the person who more than likely will be the last person to ever visually discover 10, 11, or 12 named comets. The story is inspiring and entertaining. In a sense, I feel obligated to do so for future generations. Speaking of comet discoveries, I, I ran across something a few months ago while researching visual comet discoveries that I've never seen published anywhere. Let's get into it. Prior to 1680, comets were discovered visually, but with the unaided eye. The telescope was about 70 years old, and not everyone had one. You could not just order one from the store. You could either make the telescope yourself or you knew someone who made telescopes and paid them for one. The first comet discovered with a telescope was done on November 14, 1680 by Gottfried Kirk while he was observing the moon and Mars, both in the constellation Leo at the time in the morning sky. Comets were not named after their discoverers until 1760, but he was the person to discover it. In 1692, 12 years later, Gottfried married Maria Winkelmann, and they had four children. Maria was educated and became well-known in astronomical circles for her writings on the conjunction of the Sun with Venus, Saturn, and Jupiter. On April 21st, 1702, she discovered, with the unaided eye, a comet in the morning sky. She was the third or fourth person to discover it a day behind the others. Then, on January 18, 1718, nearly 20 years later, their son, Chris Field, discovered a comet in the Little Dipper. It was near magnitude 1, very bright, as it was passing near the Earth when discovered. So there you have it, three members of an immediate family 
finding three separate comets 20 years apart. The information I have about Maria is from BAA Comet Journal, Volume 39. BAA is a British Astronomical Association, and their Comet Tale Journal, Volume 39. The BAA is an outstanding group, and uh, they have a very good comet section. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? Comet Leonard is in the southern evening sky, as is Venus. Our newest space telescope launches on December 24th. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 103, for December 22nd, 2021. I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockles.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. Two H's. You can contact me at donthestronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is donthestronomer at gmail.com. And when I was comet hunting from Loma Prieta in the late 70s and through the 80s, a radio station that I listened to called Clock Radio would sometimes uh, play my request. I would call in the request before I left the house to go comet hunting. The DJ could not pronounce my last name very well, so he began to refer to me as Don the Astronomer. We'll play this song, he would say, for Don the Astronomer up in the mountains looking at stars tonight. God willing and Paul willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky. We will still be talking about Comet Leonard and we'll look ahead to 2022. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week. Bye.